Yeah, I'm going to have to put that song on my playlist that Dave has queued up for us, uh, the Zach Brown Band. Uh, welcome to the Man on Second podcast on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Network. I'm Joe Frisaro, joined as always by Dave D'Agostino. And as our mission, as you all know, is to raise the baseball IQ of our listeners. And we will do so today in this show. I look forward to all my shows, but I'm really looking forward to this one as well because I'm connecting with an old friend, Wayne Rosenthal. Uh, Marlin fans will remember uh, Rosie, who's the pitching coach on the 03 team, uh, won a ring that year. And, uh, you know, long time in the game on the pro level, development, pitching, uh, you know, dealing with pitchers at the highest of levels in the minor leagues. And these days, Wayne Rosenthal is coaching at Calvary Christian Academy in Fort Lauderdale. His team won a regional game last night. We'll talk a lot about development, a lot about his program, and catch up with Rosie. But before we get to Rosie, we're going to bring Dave in with some announcements. Welcome, Dave. Joe, thank you. Yeah, and I, I want to just just give a little credit to our audience here. Thank our 17,000 over 300 subscribers. So 17,300 plus subscribers as of this morning represented in 72 countries, grassroots baseball, all the way up to major league front offices. So we have the year of everybody right now. We love it. Want to remind our audience, continue to download, listen, like subscribe. And so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world, much like we do in baseball. Sometimes rate and review us. That makes sure that we get credit for your listen and we can continue to provide you great content like we will with this show today. You can hit us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you have a different streaming device, certainly let me know and I'll subscribe to it. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can hit the show up on that. Also find Joe on those mediums as well. I answer one live question a day and everybody else gets questions answered privately. We had 511 questions this morning, Joe, so I got a busy afternoon there you go. ready for me. My thumbs will be tired from a thumb typer, so it's going to be sore thumbs today. Uh, and all we're trying to do, as Joe said, we're trying to build a better baseball IQ, and I remind our audience, we have six shows on this network, uh, all wonderful shows, but as you listen to our shows, just prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths out there with baseball, because this program really has no time for comfortable lies that are being told, and um, we hit them all hard head on, Joe. So we'll turn it back to you. Yeah, yeah, Dave, thank you. And and there's a reason why we're called Real Voices of the Game. And I think this voice that we're bringing in right now is an important one because Wayne Rosenthal has seen it at all levels. He's one of the really good guys in the industry and a guy who's given back at the younger levels now, coaching at the grassroots level. Um, Wayne Rosenthal, welcome, my friend. How you doing? Thank you, Sarah. I'm glad you have me here. It was, it was so good to see you again. I'm glad we, you invited me to be on the show. No, I'm so glad that you could join as well. And just a quick little background. Um, you know, Rosie and I, we go back way back to the 03 Marlins. That was my second year on the beat. I probably met Rosie in 02 as well. But he joined the coaching staff in 03 uh, early in the year. And that team, of course, led by Josh Beckett's pitching. He was Beckett's picking, pitching coach, Brad Penny, Carl Pavano, a bunch of characters he was dealing with back then. They went on and won it all. And, um, you know, he's been a good friend ever since. He's been a long time in the Marlins organization. And um, and now, like I said, Rosie, catch people up. Uh, Calvary Christian Academy, you know, we before I bring you in on that, uh, you know, so my audience knows I, I'm doing a lot of stuff with high school sports on the grassroots as well. Uh, I still am very involved doing the major league level, but I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, seeing these kids and I'm watching the, the playoffs are going on now in, in the state of Florida and Rosie's team is a really good one. And I was shocked to see when I found out he was coaching at Calvary Christian <laughs> and I made it a point to run over as soon as I found that out to see his team play. And they are very good. Uh, Rosie, catch people up on 
how you kind of made your way to Calvary and the enjoyment you have. Obviously, you were you you've been at the highest level, and now you're you're having the time of your life at this level. You know, um, you know, God God puts you in the path, and and God's good. He he um, took me out of baseball, you know, with the Marlins, and back in 2015, and I was kind of I was a little devastated because I was in baseball for my whole life, and. Um, I thought, I thought baseball was who I was and it's what I did and what I love to do. And it changed my identity and then, and, and finding Christ that year, um, changed my life. And I, I got a job as an AD at a K through eight school, um, in Palm beach gardens. And it was a beautiful thing because I got to be home a lot. I got to be with my family. I got to be with my son. I got to coach his travel ball team, which started my, I guess my development of young kids is, is being with him and watching him play. And it was a beautiful thing. And I did that for six years. Um, and then my son graduated middle school and he was looking for a high school. And we really wanted to bring him to a Christian school. And uh, Calvary came on the map. And we decided as a family, my wife and I and Braden wanted to go there to Calvary. So we decided to put him in a school before he even got a job. And I said, you know what? Why don't I just, you know, put in an application and see if I can get a job there. So we ended up moving to Delray from Palm Beach Gardens and, Braden was in the school, and then late July, I got a phone call and said they, they got a job for me. And I ended up coming here as an assistant. And, you know, they had a guy that was going to be the head coach, and I was going to be the assistant and the pitching coach. And something happened personally with him. And I became the interim coach, and all of a sudden, I became the head coach. Um, and God has been good through these years. Um, some trials and tribulations last year, uh, but this year has been a blessing from God and what he's done for this team and what he's done for me and this school. So I am enjoying every second of this being with these young kids and watching these kids grow and disciple them the best way I can. Yeah. You know, Rosie, you, you touch on a lot of really, really interesting and good points there about how paths are, are, are led and, and decisions are made. And, and sometimes, like you say, you know, I accidentally bump into you, you, you had a, you know, the crossroads with the Marlins and, and yeah. finding this path where you spend more time with your family. One of the reasons I took early retirement from MLB was the same reason was I was in a position, fortunately, that it was the best job I ever had and whoever will have that they put me in a spot where I could spend some more time with my family. And it's got me around my, my granddaughter who's 12 and my, my daughter who's seven years older and my son who you've met and you right. probably met my daughter along the way as well. But, uh, you know, to be more involved in their lives. And of course my son's a scout with Arizona where, you know, next month we're, my wife and I were going to go spend a week with him, which we do every year. Uh, it's, he takes a week off for his birthday. And, and again, that's important where I'm part of being around him, even though he's going to make it bigger than I ever did. Uh, in the sport, but, you know, it allows you that the daily grind, you know, just, and I loved it and you love everything about the grind, but the sacrifices you made with family. And now I, I agree with you, you know, you, you give a little bit of time more back to your family and here you are not only part of your son's development, but you're influencing 20 something other kids on your team and, and a, and a school in the process. Yeah. You know, um, true story. I went, after I got let go of the Marlins, I went through some interviews to try to find a job and you know, nobody wanted to hire me. And I was, I was wondering why. And I didn't realize till later, but my last interview uh, was with the Mets and the Mets ended up saying no. And I looked at my son. I said, he asked me what they said. And I said, well, they said they're going some different route. And he says, well, I guess you got to spend more time with me. And that hit me hard saying, you know what? Maybe he was feeling I wasn't home a lot. Maybe he was feeling that I needed to be there. And 
you know, and it, they closed doors. God closed the doors for me to be in pro ball, to find the job where I can be home. And it's been a blessing. Watching him grow up has been the highlight of my life. And I couldn't change, I wouldn't change it for one bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, Rosie's uh, son, Braden is a sophomore at Calvary. I, you know, I've seen him a couple of times play. I've seen him pitch and he's, He's already going to be on a lot, a lot of maps of D1 schools. Uh, really good lefty bat, good size, good power, really good approach. But Rosie, I want to, you know, let's kind of segue into the pitching end of it because as as big as as Brayden is, and I'm sure as hard as he can throw, I see a pitcher there, and I know knowing you and and all those pitchers at at Calvary are getting some really good training for you. What are you focused on in an age where everyone's chasing velocity? How are you kind of you know, obviously velocity plays, but how are you kind of getting the most out of your kids and what are you you preaching from the pitching standpoint? Well, going back to when Braden was nine years old and he first pitched, um, everybody was always had those pocket radars. Parents had, oh, my son's throwing this, my son's throwing that. And all I, con- all I concentrated on him was when you're at that age, you need to throw strikes. Because if you walk a guy at that age, it's stolen base, stolen base, pass ball, run scores. Yeah. And that's no fun. I said, you need to put the ball in play. If they get hits, they get hit. So I, I just want him, you need to throw strikes with your fastball, nothing else. And he learned to do that. And his command of his fastball was so good as he got older, his strength got stronger. He got stronger with his body and he started throwing harder. And I said, you will throw harder, but you, you got to learn to throw strikes first. And taking that philosophy, he's become a very good pitcher. Now with his size, People would come up to me and say, well, why isn't he throwing harder? And I say, listen, the gun will play at a time, but you got to learn to pitch first. And that's what I strive with these pitchers right now is the guns out there. You know, and I use the gun for a, a training step segment where I got to find that when, when he drops off in speed, the differences in speeds of the pitches from curveball to changeup. That's what I use my gun for. And I don't use it for the high velocity. But, you know, I, get, I can tell you stories about guns. Uh, even a guy that you, that you recognize the name, Josh Johnson, when he came with the Marlins. He came out of high school. He was supposed to throw 95. And he came into us with a, not a tender shoulder, but, you know, he was a little tired. And he was throwing 85. And he was getting really worried. And I just said to Josh, I said, Josh, why don't you learn to pitch at 85? Learn to control your stuff. Learn to pitch. Imagine if you can learn how to pitch at 85 and all of a sudden your velocity comes back at 95 and you know how to pitch. How dangerous could you be? And I said, I don't know if it's going to come back in three months, six months, one year, two years. But you need to get the best of what you are right now. He started learning how to pitch. And then a year later, comes back to spring training, throwing 95, but with unbelievable command and knowing how to pitch. And that's why he, I mean, he was going to make it to the big leagues no matter what because he's a smart kid and he's strong and athletic. But it opened up his eyes that now I'm a, now I'm a pitcher at 95 rather than a thrower at 95. I think the gun is overrated as far as how some people are using it, but it is a tool that is used. And if you use it to the best of your ability, you can get a lot out of it with players. Yeah. And, you know, just background, I'm sure our audience knows who Josh Johnson is and was. He uh, went on, he was National League ERA leader at least one year. I remember he's or yes. or nine. And, and JJ, you know, he came back from Tommy John surgery, uh, su- was successful there. Uh, just a great kid, a great competitor. And, and Rosie, you know what? I was just thinking when you're t- telling the JJ story, 
I was thinking that Josh Johnson might have been one of the last pitchers of that era with Josh Johnson and Scott Olson and Anibal yeah. Sanchez when all those guys came up, that their velo got higher as the year went on, it seemed like. And what I mean by that is, like you say, J.J. would come in and he'd be like low 90s in spring training. Mm-hmm. And then by opening day is 95, 96. And I fast forward that to about 2013 or 14 when Jose Fernandez, and I know yes. you worked with him and I'll have some stories there, but I always you know, recall the, the, the spring training opener where Jose Fernandez was facing Carlos Martinez, who was then an ace with the Cardinals. They pitched literally the first spring training game. And in the first inning, Martinez hit 99 and, and Jose hit 98 and was mad he didn't beat 99. You know what I mean? It, you know, it was like, it was like, the, it, it just something changed within that four or five year period where, and you probably can speak to that too, because you saw how guys came into spring training. What, when did that change where, where guys, there were pitchers use spring training, you know, to build arm strength rather than they already throwing a hundred or 99 or 98 day one. You know, it, I, I remember as a player, you come in, you got to be ready to go, but you know, it's not about how you are now. It's how you're going to be when the season opens up. And if some people, they go in there throwing hard now, you know, the first week of spring training, trying to let loose, you know, they might get tired quicker during the season. Um, as you well know, Major League Baseball, even minor league baseball is a marathon. There's so many games and people get tired throughout the year, maybe once or twice as far as pitchers. Um but I think sometimes when the adrenaline flows in a game and there's competition between two players, you know, with Jose and Carlos, they, they, they were battling each other. So when one hit 97, the other one wanted to hit 98. When one hit 99, the other one wanted to hit 100 to be the top dog. And, you know, I think that's friendly competition. Do I think that was probably smart first game in spring training? Probably not. Uh, but Jose was young, uh, great kid. I lo- I, I, that man right there taught me a lot through the years I, that I was with him. And I do have stories about him. A lot of them I still tell to young players. Um, but the gun the gun has been a big tool there, and I think people chase the gun. And I think in the pro level they're strong enough, and I think there are people there enough to keep them grounded, hopefully. I haven't been in that game for a long time in the pro game. But here my job my job is to keep them grounded with the gun. Guy, they just want to see how hard – first thing they ask is, how hard was that? How hard was that? How hard was that? And I think we need to, in the lower levels, that, that needs to be put aside and just used as a tool to develop them for not being the best high school pitcher, but maybe being the best college pitcher or being the best pro pitcher when they get there. Yeah, can, hey, share one of those stories, if you can, with Jose and, and the message before we you know, deviate to other topics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, o- o- Jose was an original, original young man. Um, he's touched the hearts of a lot of people. Uh, I miss him terribly. I still have a big plaque of him in my house. A big, not plaque. I'm talking a big 12 by 16 picture of him pitching. Uh, and I do miss him. Uh, one story, uh, he pitched in a spring training game. And I was I was on the Cardinal side. And I was listening to the game or people would give me updates. And he said, oh, he's walked four guys. Oh, he gave up six hits. He's struggling. He's struggling. And I'm looking at myself going, oh, my, he's going to. He's going to hop on a golf cart after he gets taken out, and he's going to come riding over to the Cardinal sign to come talk to me because we had a we had a pretty good relationship, and I worked with him a lot. And I heard he got taken out, and I said, oh, bud, give me about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's this card, golf cart just racing out of the tunnel, coming on the Cardinal sign around one of the fields to the bullpen mounds with a towel in his hand, 
and saying to me, I need to do some towel drills. I'm not right. I'm not right. I need to get fixed. You need to fix me. And I looked at him. I said, all right, let's go. I said, I got, a, I got games to watch over here. I got minor league players to watch. And he goes, God, just give me, just coach, give me 10 minutes. Give me 10 minutes. I said, all right. So we're walking over there and uh, he's doing his towel drill. And we did it for about five to six minutes. And he goes, how come you're not saying anything? And I said, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> I said, your delivery's fine. And he looks at me and goes, then what's going on? I said, you know what you have, Jose? Last year in the minor leagues, you went out to the mound and said, you are not going to hit me. I'm better than you. You are not going to hit me. And your, your arrogance, your cockiness, whatever you want to call it, was good. And you know you were going to get him out. And you did. Now you're in spring training and you lost your edge. You lost that, that arrogance, that, that demeanor that you showed and you need to get that back. Your delivery's fine. Your stuff's fine. But you just going through the motions right now because you were an all-star. You're in spring training. You're the number one guy. You got all this rookie notoriety. Of the year. Rookie yeah. of the year. You know, you did all that stuff. I said, that's nothing. That's last year. What are you going to do now? And I said, your delivery's fine. Your stuff's fine. Just get that edge back. He looked at me and he goes, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. Go back in the locker room, take a shower, do your pre-workout, get ready for your pen in two days. And when you pitch again, show me the Jose Fernandez you you, you were last year, that you loved the game and you got that demeanor that you're going to get him out. And next out, he throws six shutout. Yeah. Four yeah, or five, I five shutout. And he just looked at me and goes, that's it. And I was like, yep, that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that kid's so missed. I, yeah, I remember in spring training, it turned out to be his last of 2016. Yeah. And that was kind of the year that the the – the videoing of of these players in spring training became more common and and i was videoing literally his first um bullpen session you know it's day one of spring training and and everybody was all the media the tv cameras are there with the real cameras i'm there with my little camera and and he's throwing and i'm videoing it and tweeting out one or two because that's what you had to do quickly get it out there and and then mlb.com would get a couple of the clips and they had put together a 30 second video clip of jose after when the day was over and so he gets no sooner gets done. And, you know, I, you know me, I'm like right there with the players and stuff right. in spring training. And, and all of a sudden, Jose comes up to me. He goes, boss man. I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm like, what? He goes, hey, he goes, you're videoing me. I said, yeah, so is everyone else. He goes, no, no. He goes, how did I look? Mm-hmm. I, said, I said, you look good. <laughs> he goes, no, no, show me. So I had to go into my phone. And, and Jose, I, I'm like, Jose, you know, you can walk there filming this. You don't need me to show you this. And But he needed me to see off my camera how he looked. Like, that's that's his level of engagement because he yes. would always engage with, with people. That's what made him so popular and so, so likable is, you know, he connected with media. He connected with the fans. Obviously, his relationship with his coaches because all he wanted to be was the best, you know. And uh, I'm, we could probably do a whole show on him. But, Dave, jump in. I, I love this story about Jose Fernandez, Wayne, because I, I think that lends itself, but shares with our audience a little bit about your character and a little about your competence, because that always breeds trust. And for a right. guy of that caliber to come to you and you be able to touch him like that without question, uh, I think our, our audience got a great sense of, of who you are and what you can do and why you're being successful with these. It doesn't matter what level, I guess, you'd coach, you'd be successful based on that that trade alone. But Thank you. So, Last last week, uh, Jim Cott, we have a, I do a show with Jim Cott as well on our network, and we talked about what he thought were the four tenets of pitching. He thought 
and you touched on them already, command, change of speed, movement, and then velocity, especially with that story with Josh Johnson. Where Where is that order today in terms of youth and kind of kind of expand upon you were starting to give a message to young kids out there and families based on you working with your son as well, but command change of speed, movement, and velocity. What, what should the priority be of a parent or a young coach touching a kid right now or, or even a college kid right now um, in your mind? I mean, I think this day and age is a lot about the kinetics, all the metrics that we get and the numbers, the, the launch angles, the spin rate, um, the, you know, the coaching step, the coaching in minor league baseball, you know, I left, I think I left at the right time because I am old school. Um, I don't like that, the, the office stuff, the computer stuff. I'm a field guy. I like to see what I see on the field. My naked eye is not always perfect, but I like that. So I think this day and age has a lot to do with the velocity first, because as soon as their kid comes in the game, all the, the parents of the kid, of that kid are behind the gun. Look at how fast he's going. And when you say, how'd you do today? And the first thing that comes out of her mouth says, oh, I threw 91. That's the first thing they think about. So I think that's the, what's going on right now is the guns first, um, it, which it shouldn't be. Um, I think command and change of speeds and movement is way far important than velocity. Because I've seen guys throw 99 miles an hour and get smoked. But I see a guy throwing different speeds, changing speeds, commanding on the corners, movement in, movement out, and just carve people up. You know, you go back to Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox is one of the best pitches I've ever, ever watched. I can sit and watch him throw every day. And all he did was locate, change speeds, and command it. And, that's, and, and, and movement. And that's all he did. And how successful was he? It, you know, I'd rather see a guy throw 75 pitches in a seven-inning game get 27 outs or 21 outs in, in high school and get ground balls on three pitches or less. And, but we're all in the day in the age of right gun. How many strikeouts did I have? Did I blow it by you? Did I sword you on the breaking ball? Did I look good doing it? And I think uh, baseball has changed a little bit. The game is still itself, but what I'm trying to do here is teach these boys that it's just a game of baseball and just enjoy it not let it become a business, not let it become who you are, just have fun with it. But going back to your four things, I think the gun is, is taking over a lot of baseball right now in certain areas, but not everybody. I'm not going to say that everybody's like that, but a, a lot of people have gone that way. Yeah. I uh, my, we're, We try to get this show, as Joe mentioned, build better baseball IQs. And not only do we have 72 countries, but my whole neighborhood listens. And my neighbor actually stepped out the other day and I asked him how his son threw. And his first phrase was he topped out at, and I just walked away. Yep. And uh, he, I haven't talked to him in three days right now, but, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll let him off the hook this weekend. That's yeah. a great answer. And how, what, what, in those four things, is there an order of importance to you? Um, command. Things? command is everything. Cause you can't do anything unless you throw strikes, you know, to me, you know, you get behind in the count, pitch count gets up, you know, um, so command is first. Uh, change of speeds is second, movement's third, because once you command and change speeds, now the move, the movement can come into play. Now, every pitcher's different. I'm not saying change of speeds is best for everybody second. I think a couple of guys that have the movement to it, like I'll go to my son. My son's a fastball pitcher, but he's got an unbelievable two-seamer, so his, his delivery is not, or his repertoire is not more change of speeds. It's more command than movement, than change of speeds. So I think the order changes 
according to who the pitcher is. And and if you if you cookie cut everybody and everybody's got to be this way, that's not being a good coach. You know, um, I had a co- I had a guy ask me a question what my philosophy of pitching was, and I said I don't have one. And he looked at me and he said, "What do you mean?" He was like shocked by. It. I said, "Well, every pitcher's different. I don't have one ph- one way of teaching. I don't have one philosophy. I don't have one way. If I see a pitcher, I have a philosophy for that pitcher. If I see another guy, I'll have a philosophy for that pitcher. And you have to be able to adjust and to every every guy that you work with and try to get the best of what they can do and not what they can't do. I like and that. And that's and that's a lot of coaches. Okay, well, I got to fix this. I got to put my stamp on you." If I fix you, it makes me look good. And I always say, like, I tap the guy on the back and the guy puts his name on the back that I, I did it. It's like a brand. And I think that we get away from it's not about the coach. It's about the player. And if they succeed, they succeed. you just leading them down the right path to be able to do that. I like that. It's refreshing to hear. Yeah. Do, you, do you measure anything, um, Wayne, with the pitchers uh, as they're, whether it's, you know, percentage of first strikes. Uh, what are some important things when you're measuring the success outside of outs? Obviously, I like. I mean, strikes. Strikes are total pitches. Um, I look at first pitch strikes. Uh, I look at pitches per at bat. Um, I'm a big believer in trying to get a guy out three pitches or less. Um, but everybody loves a strikeout. It becomes, you know, that's the thing. I strike. How many guys you strike out? I struck out eight. Oh, great. But how many pitches did you throw during those eight strikeouts? You know, I can go back to Jose Fernandez story and this is a tr- He's pitching an A ball and he's doing great. He's getting outs, but he's going 0-2, trying to strike people out, going 3-2. Right. And he's throwing too many pitches. So about the fourth inning, he comes to me and says, how am I doing, Cap? And I said, well, you're doing great numbers wise. I said, but you're throwing too many pitches. You want to go nine innings, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, you're only going to go six the way you're throwing because you don't throw too many pitches and I'm going to get you out of there. I said, so stop messing around and get him out in three pitches or less. He goes out next inning, strikes out three guys in 10 pitches. You know, and that's part of the game. If you do it early, you go longer. If you don't do it early, you throw a lot of pitches. So I try to teach these guys that contact is more important, get ground balls. Strikeouts are, you know, I use a word, I'm not going to use it here, but what I tell them, but it's, it's just, it's a fad. And I always tell them, you don't strike people out. They strike themselves out because you put pitches in the best location for them not to hit it or them to take it. And if you think you strike them out, then you're going to continue throwing a lot of pitches and trying to do that. They will do it themselves if you throw strikes. So I believe in, in doing that and saving people's arms. And you can talk about pitch counts too, as far as the gun, but pitch counts. I mean, I've seen too many young kids throwing over 100 pitches. And I think that's crazy. I mean, there shouldn't be a high school, it shouldn't be a, a, a middle school kid throwing 100 pitches. And high school kids throwing 100 pitches when they're not fully developed. Especially, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, especially when chasing velocity is the priority right now. To do that maximum, you know, effort for 100 pitches is insane. Yeah, I I have a thing here. Um, We 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 top off at 80. We get to 80, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're at 78 with two outs in the fifth. You got one hitter to get to get out of the inning. I think the most thing anybody's thrown in, in high school with me in the last two years is 84 pitches. Nobody's gone more than that. And I even I shouldn't have gone 84 with that guy, but I wanted to try to, for development purposes, I wanted him to try to get that last out in the inning. Because him walking off the mound would have meant a lot more than me taking him out with 81 pitches. 
and it, it worked. He got him out in three pitches or less, and, and he walked off the mound with his head high. And, and that's development. Now, pitch counts, I've seen a kid throw 103 pitches in first week in March in high school. And it shouldn't happen that way. It's not about – I'd rather lose a high school ball game than to push a guy to throw more pitches than he needed to. And I think that's a dying age, too, that the coaches think that they need to win with their ace, but not thinking about the ace's future and where he's going to be going after high school. Yeah, that's good. Joe, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, Rosie, um, obviously these are excellent points. And and as Dave noted at the beginning of the show, we get a lot of a lot of younger listeners, and, I, and I'm hoping – that the high school kids uh, are, are paying attention to this and those uh, younger levels. But Rosie, what I noticed, and I talked to you about this after I saw you guys play last week, um, talk about tempo with, with your pitchers. And because I was very impressed with they, they didn't speed the game up. They slowed the game down yet had good tempo and, and didn't, you know, let the moment get to them. How, how do you develop that or, or in a, in a young pitcher? It's, it's, it's some, some are better than others. Um, you know, my son has been hearing my voice since he was, when he first started playing. So he has a little advantage here in what I, what I like to do and what I like to teach. And some of these guys last year didn't do it. It took them a while to get it. But I just try to tell them, hey, you're in control of the game. The game does not start until you throw it. You control how the game is fast and if the game is slow. And I try to tell them certain times during the game where you need to slow it down and know when to speed it up. I said, if you're on a roll, don't slow it down. Keep it going. I want you to get right back on the mound and throw it. But if, there, if things aren't going your way, you need to just slow it down and step back. And actually, my catchers and some of my position players uh, take charge sometimes and go to the mound in certain, certain times where they think they need to slow it down, where the pitcher doesn't do it. So I think it's a group effort of what we do, and everybody's learning in their own position and path, what they need to do to help the team be successful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's those are really, really good points. Dave, do you want to expand on that? No, I, I like that with, um, you know, with the pitch clock today, is, is that something you're in favor of an MLB or is that something you feel should be an eight in a pitcher? I Get don't, it. I don't like it. I think the game is becoming too me- mechanical to where they, we're relying on a clock to speed the game up. Um, like you said, sometimes the pitcher needs to walk around the mound. They need to slow the game down because they're struggling. Just like a hitter has to step out of the box because they swung at a bad pitch. You know, they, excuse me, they can call timeout and go talk to the coach. You know, and that's part of the game. And I believe, I'm an old, like I said, I'm an old school guy. Now, some, there are some advantages to the, to the pitch clock. Because it has sped the game up, where people are more watching it, um, but I just think that it takes away from what the pitcher needs to do mentally. And like, if I throw four balls in a row, I want to walk behind the mound and I tell the guys, "Hey, talk to the rosin bag." You know, just to so the, the term used, go back there, touch the rosin bag, just take your time, refocus, and get back on track. They can't do that now, and it just speeds the game up. And maybe the pitcher may struggle longer because they don't have time to decompose what they're doing and how to change it and make adjustments. And I think this game is a game of adjustments. Some are big, some are small, some are quick, some are longer. And it takes away what they do to make that adjustment on the mound during a game. Yeah. And there, there are some pitchers complaining right now at the big league level that it's causing this rash of inju- injuries. I tend to disagree. I think it has to do with the max 
velo chase. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's, you can't pinpoint one thing that, that injuries come about. I mean, every year I've been in the minor leagues, I remember this, that there's always one injury that happens a lot. We had a groin injury. We had 10 groin injuries. We had a, a bleak strain one year. But with the arm injuries, I think the velo, I believe, pitch counts. Uh, um, I'm not going to say weights because weights are always good. But changing people's routine and changing people's tempo and changing people's normal routine could lead to that. And um, uh, you, you can never pinpoint one thing. Is it velo? Possibly. You can say that. But I'm not going to say that it definitely is. But I think it's overuse. And they need they need to rest in between, and I, I think that's a lot of things that uh, some people take for granted. Oh, it's five days; they're fine, or it's six days. You know, if you throw a hundred pitches, you may need that extra day. If you throw seventy-five pitches, you don't need that extra day. And I think what, with the day and age right now, it's it's all set in routines, and they throw harder, 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 and they keep throwing harder from the from the get-go. That it takes a toll on on people's arms no matter what, how strong you are or how much you prepare. I, I noticed in your, your bio, you were a, a very good multiple sport athlete. I, I was fortunate to play basketball and baseball collegiately for four years. And I, I value the two sport athlete. Maybe I'm biased. Um, how much of that do you impress upon your athletes now playing multiple sports? And, and do you think it's important? I think it's important when you're younger. Um, we had a class here called Issues and Ethics that one of my colleagues was teaching and um, he invited me to a couple of his classes because they were baseball, somewhat baseball oriented and sports oriented. One of the topics was when do we isolate a sport for a player? When do you, when do you say you're a one sport player or you pick that sport that is um, the, my priority? Uh, so, you know, I think it all varies. I like two sport athletes because it gives them a variety to play different muscle groups, different actions, speed work, basketball, baseball, Basketball is more, you know, you know, first step, second step, quick actions. Baseball is more slow tempo, reactionary game. So I like that. But certain athletes have that one sport that they're um, they excel at, and sometimes during the offseason they want to train for that sport. So I think it changes according to the athlete. I will never stop anybody from playing a two sport. I will not talk them out of it. If you play two sports, go for it. But no, you have to, may have to make a decision and say down the road, I don't want to be um, – I use this example. If you have a curveball and a slider and they're both average, what if you take one away? Then you work on the other one and that becomes above average. So you can look at it that way and say if you pick one sport, you excel at it. But that comes down to a certain time in your life, whether it's a junior in high school, it could be college, it could be before high school, I think you have to realize how good you are, how you know what you can excel at, and what you enjoy. And I think some people play two sports just to play two sports. But I will, I would love to have a two sport athlete on my baseball team. And I will never not encourage somebody to to do that. They can miss fall to play another sport if that's what they choose to do. But I think it makes them a better person and makes them more rounded in our sport. Yeah. Oh wow, interesting stuff, Rosie. What um what routines do you give your pitchers at the high school level between outings? Um, it's tough because two of my pitchers are two way guys, and so I need to protect their arms in between 
you know, their pitching. Because with Braden and Carlos Lugo, they're my number one and two guys. Braden plays first base. Braden also plays the outfield. Lugo plays the outfield. And I need to protect their arms in between. So their routines, they, the long toss, it, to me, is an ideal thing they have to do almost every day. There are certain days where I'll give them some time off because they do play another position. Um, so they must throw every day. Uh, but in high school, you pitch once a week. You don't do the five days. Um, the only thing I'd say to them is like, okay, if, if let's say somebody pitches on a Monday and they're pitching the following Tuesday, which is an eight-day stint, we come up with a plan for the week. Like, are we going to throw one bullpen? We're going to throw two bullpens. We're going to throw heavy bullpen, light bullpen. Which day are we going to take off? Because we need to take one day off. And I'll say to the guy, okay, you're pitching next Tuesday, so let's throw a pen on Thursday, a light one, touch feel, and then maybe come back on Saturday and throw a full pen, give you two days off to pitch on Monday, on Tuesday. And we set it out according to what the rotation is next. It also comes into play of how many pitches they threw the game before. If they throw a lot of pitches and it was really hard that day, I'm going to give them extra time off, off the mound. If I think that they need to get on the mound as quick as possible, then we'll set the routine according to what he's done and what he's going to do of how many days in between. And uh, we're not like the minor leagues or the big leagues where it's once every five days yeah. or once every six to seven days. Sometimes it's five where I have to maybe sometimes not even throw them off the mound during the five days because they're a two-way guy or just throw like 20 fastballs in between. So I don't think we have a set routine. We have to decide what we did before and what we're going to do next, depending on how we're going to work it out. Now, if you're a PO, that's easy. I can work it out with long toss, running, everything else. But the two-way guys are the tough ones. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot involved. And uh, and I think our listeners would see why uh, Calvary Christian is such a good good <laughs> program. Uh, Rosie, we, we uh, our time's getting short, but I want to talk about 03 because this is an anniversary. Yes, I, I can't true. believe it's. 20 years. And, and obviously you joined that team kind of, you know, as the season was underway, uh, what did you see as a turning point? And when did you start believing that, that that team was capable of doing what they ended up doing? You know, it had nothing to do with on the field. I think it had to do with what they did in the clubhouse. Um, I just watched them grow together in the club. Now there were some, there were some egos in that locker room, just like any locker room. Um, but I think the leadership um, that was taken upon certain players, like a Mikey Lowell um, and those guys, and then when the trades came through, when Pudge came on and Conine came on, I think it showed some life um, with the staff and the, and, the, and the players that we can do this. And I think this, that team just had fun being together. And I never laugh so hard sometimes on buses. I never laugh so hard on planes and in dugouts. And I think a lot of the MVP stuff that was good, was one of the best points of that team were the bench players. The four bench players, that were five bench players, you know, Lenny Harris, Brian Banks, uh, Fox. Mike Redman. Red, Mike Redman and Todd Hollinsworth. Yeah. They were always in the game. Mike Mordecai, who was a vital part, those guys were in the game. Those guys made it fun. Those guys were just laughing, joking, ran, you know, doing everything to keep everything loose. And I think that was a big part of that, that staff or that team to be able to be successful. 
Yeah, and and obviously, you know, speak to what Beckett did, and, and he kind of saw it, uh, you know, again in game. Everyone talks about, you know, the games in Wrigley, you know, in Game Six and Seven, the Bartman game, and then Beckett coming out of the pen in in Game Seven. But really, to me, when Beckett sent it back to Chicago, and I think it was his first complete game ever uh, to throw that that shutout that day against Carlos Zambrano, that was like. What's going? What's going on here? You know, and yeah, yeah. Beckett kind of reached another level of intensity, and we knew Josh had a lot of fire, and you know, a lot of uh, what we loved about Josh, and also what frustrated us about Josh. But man, when when he needed to win a game, he he was the guy. No, he had unbelievable stuff. I mean, at that particular time, he was a young phenom pitcher with a lot of stuff. He never really made a name for himself. He just was a guy that everybody knew that he could be. Um, I think a certain time through the year, he knew he was the ace. He knew he was the guy that everybody wanted to go to. And I think he started believing himself. Um, he matured a lot that year. I'm not saying he was perfect because nobody is perfect. But um, I think he, he knew what he needed to do. And he started taking it a little more seriously towards the end of the year. And it showed of what he did on the mound. Yeah. What about, you know, we'll kind of end it on game six at Yankee Stadium. Because, you know, for – you know, I've, I've talked to Jack forever and, you know, I got his perspective. I've talked to Josh forever. Um, what's your perspective? You're his pitching coach. You're watching him that day. Uh, you're watching the preparation, the short rest, all mm-hmm. that went in. What were your concerns? What were your, your, what were you looking at? And when did you realize as well, you know, obviously a Pudge working with them and I, the classic where Pudge told Jack at the end of eight, don't take him out. Um, you know, what was your point of view of that? What you saw from Beckett? You know, I'm, I'm more conservative. You know, even though I'm in the big leagues, I'm still the pitching coach and I'm still I'm concerned about people's arms. You know, I had a thing after five, I said, guys, I just want you to go five hard innings as hard as you can and then go one inning at a time. And I would always ask Josh after every inning, after, after the fourth inning because of the short rest, how you doing? You doing all right? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. And I watched him. He wasn't laboring. He was doing, I mean, he was doing great and he was relaxed not overthrown, just being Josh Beckett. And um, I just kept going every inning. You doing okay? Good. And I kept walking away. I just needed to do that just to make sure I heard from him. But, you know, he just cruised through it. He he actually was used less effort during that game than I've ever seen him throw. And I think sometimes when you're tired or when you're on short rest, you don't try as hard and the stuff's better. And I think that's what happened with him. Adrenaline and being tired a little bit made his stuff better where he let it happen instead of trying to make it happen, which a lot of young players try to do, especially in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Uh, we could talk all day. You got, you, you're at school and you're gracious enough to give us your time. Um, Wayne Rosenthal, that's uh, you know some great, <laughs> great stuff. Great insight. Calvary Christian Academy is doing a great job and they're in the playoffs. Uh, Dave, come in last uh, questions for Rosie and final uh, announcements, and then we'll move on. No, I think I think wonderful job, Wayne. I think it's a fantastic interview with you two guys and Joe. I like to I always like appreciate you letting me ask my two to three selfish questions. <laughs> but uh, I just want to I want to thank our our audience as well as you guys. You know, seventeen thousand three hundred subscribers now, seventy two countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Keep doing your job out there with download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review, so we can battle those analytics of the podcast world. We keep giving you great interviews like this. There were tons of nuggets in this interview that I think all of our audience can grab onto, and I hope they do. 
Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is how you can find us. If there's another way, you let me know and I'll find it. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I capped it at 5.11 this morning, Joe. I'm going to push the rest of tomorrow because I don't know if I can handle answering that. <laughs> and being nice at the same time. But, um, you know, we're just trying to build better baseball IQs here. I know we did that today, uh, but a reminder to our audience, and, and they actually reminded me of this, which is why I put this disclaimer up there. They're very happy that we're embracing some of the uncomfortable truths in baseball right now. I think it's nice to, to start conversation and challenge things. And our, none of our programs have any any room for any of the, the comfortable little lies out there. And, and I appreciate the way you handle all that, Joe, with your interviews, how tactful you have your interviews. And our guests are just straight up honest like Wayne today. So thank you both today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, we, this is, this this is, is a lot of fun. And, uh, um, yeah, you know, Dave summed it up. And, and Rosie, this is, again, again, the aptly named Real Voices of the Game Network. And Wayne Rosenthal is very much a real voice and, and doing great work working with the next generation of players. It's one reason I'm involved doing this, why Dave's doing this, why this network's out there. And um, yes, we're, we're going to bring our insight and we hope we're informing as many people as possible. Uh, Rosie, once again, thanks a lot, my friend. Good luck in the playoffs. Good luck to your son and your family. Regards to them. Um, Dave, thanks as always for a great job. I'm Joe Forsaro, the man on second podcast here on Real Voices of the Game Network, and we are out of here.